It is so good as believers to confess our sin to God and to one another. We're telling the truth to God. He knows it already, and we're telling the truth to one another. And that's why we confess our sin. And every Sunday, we hear an assurance of our pardon that because of Christ, our sins have been forgiven. We have assurance in Christ. Friends, on this Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice in God because we have a living hope. That's how Peter describes the Christian's hope at the beginning of 1 Peter, a letter that Peter wrote to Christians who were experiencing great suffering because of persecution. Peter's words reminded the Christians that he was writing to that despite their present circumstance, though they were suffering because they believed the gospel, that is, they were going through religious persecution, still their hope was alive. And Peter's words to them remind us today of the same glorious truth. Christian, your hope is alive. Let me say that again. Your hope is alive, Christian. Despite your present circumstance, whether you are a Christian in North Korea, in Syria, or Iran, suffering greatly because of religious persecution, like the Christians that Peter was originally writing 1 Peter to, or you are a Christian in the USA or in the UK in the midst of a pandemic, your hope is alive. Your hope will always be alive. Because your hope and my hope is in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified and was raised from the dead. And so I want you to hear Peter's words today. Maybe for the first time. Remember, they are not merely Peter's words. They are God's words. That is, these words are Holy Scripture, given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now the Christians Peter originally wrote, 1 Peter 2, had hope then. And we Christians have hope today because, and he mentions this in that verse, and he mentions it throughout the letter and in this morning's passage, He has hope. The Christians he's writing to have hope, and we have hope today because Jesus died and was raised from the dead. For this reason, on this weekend, when we remember and we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and I'm kind of torn because I know that that historically the the church has celebrated, and and for good reason, Good Friday and Easter, and, and made much of Good Friday and Easter, but we're always celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not as if after this weekend we're gonna set it aside and say, okay, here here we we are again, what should we celebrate? We're always, as, as people of the cross and people of the resurrection, we're always celebrating Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, Easter. And I think it's, it's wise and it makes sense for us to especially remember and set aside a day when we reflect on these things. But we're always doing that. Why? Because these truths that we, we rejoice in today are our living hope, these, these historical events, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what God accomplished in and through them are at the very heart, the very core of Christianity. at at the very heart of the gospel that we believe and we proclaim as Christians as a church, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. These two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are at the very heart of everything for us as Christians. They're at the core. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are a package deal. 
If we lose one, then we lose the other. Without the substitutionary, sin-atoning death of Christ and the eternal life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing left of true biblical Christianity. That is, it would be emptied of its substance if we lose either one of these historical events. Christianity's worth, its value, we would have nothing left in in Christ. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would be like an, an empty treasure chest. Whatever would be left would not be Christianity, would not be the gospel. It would not be the good news. It would be something else. Maybe it more, it'd be moralism. Do good and be good. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is that we cannot be good enough for God. We've all broken his law. The good news is that Christ has come, that he lived, he died, and was raised from the dead. If Christ did not die, we would be without the sure hope of being forgiven of our sins, and we would not be reconciled to God. If Christ was not raised from the dead, then we would be without the hope of being raised from the dead and without eternal life. This year on Good Friday, Matt Jantz had us look at the death of Jesus Christ from 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19. And this Easter morning, to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I will be preaching on, on the very next two verses, 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. But like Matt did on Friday, I, I want to give us a sense of the context of these verses, and so I will also begin reading like he did in verse 13. So if you have a Bible with you, if you're going to use a Bible app, then I would encourage you to, to take that Bible uh, out or that app, open it up, and, and turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 13. We'll be reading through 13 all the way to 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word for God's people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. And now please join me in prayer. We praise you, great God, this day for another day to celebrate the gospel, to rejoice in the resurrection, to remember who you are and what you have done for your people. Thank you, Father, for sending your one and only precious eternal Son. Jesus, thank you for coming, for setting aside for a while, the glory of heaven, taking on human flesh, 
becoming a man, one of the very creatures that was created through you and for you, that had rebelled against you, you took on flesh. You went through the struggles that come in a fallen world. You went through so much. And through it all, you were righteous. You were holy. You were obedient. You kept the law so that you could and you would lay down your life for us. Oh Christ, we praise you for who you are and for what you have done. Jesus, our Redeemer. Spirit, we praise you. For without you, we would still be lost, blind, deaf, and dead spiritually. And we would be headed towards the destruction that we deserved now and forever in hell. Triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are the God who saves. And so though so many things are different, so many things are not the way that we would like them to be today, you are the unchangeable God who we worship. You are worthy to be worshiped and praised this day. And so we give you thanks. We thank you for the blessing of salvation, that it is all of grace and not of works, so that no one can boast, and only you can boast in our salvation. We praise your great and high name today. We thank you for the blessing of a local church. And may this time in which we cannot be together, this is nothing compared to the joy that we have when we are in the same room, in the sanctuary, in the local church together, worshiping you, hearing the word preached, singing the, the truths of the gospel together, confessing our sin and hearing an assurance of pardon, rejoicing together, praying for one another in person. And yet, may you use this time to increase our love for one another. May the absence in our corporate worship cause us to appreciate and enjoy it rightly more and more. God, we thank you for the local church and for the universal church. We thank you that the gospel cannot be stopped. Your kingdom will advance no matter what is going on in the world around us, whether it be persecution, plague, or pandemic. You are sovereign and good. Your will will be done. At the same time, Lord, we, we cry out to you for help. We pray for our family members and friends who are struggling especially. Maybe they're struggling because they're not believers. They're, they're not trusting in Christ. They have no living hope. Lord, use this time to show them their mortality, that they are sinners, that, that they will die and, and they will answer to a holy and just God who will judge them according to his law. Use this time to show them their need for Christ and use us to share Christ with them. We also pray for the believer going through this time who is struggling. Maybe they, they have the virus and, and they're seeking attention from, from medical experts and professionals and, and they're receiving that. We pray for their recovery. We pray for those who are, who are struggling with other illnesses and diseases, whether it be cancer. We're, we're, we're already going through so much physically before this. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving the loss of a loved one, whose loved ones are sick and dying. Lord, may you comfort and sustain and strengthen them. 
And now, Lord, as we ponder the glories of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, help us to understand, to believe, increase our faith and our joy in you, we pray. We pray this in Jesus, your Son, and our Savior's great name. Amen. Our focus this morning will be on 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. But the previous verses set the stage for those verses. As, as Matt noted during our Good Friday service, in verses 13 through 16, Peter calls God's people to action. He encourages us to not be distracted or overwhelmed by our current situation. And for the Christians he was writing to, again, it was religious persecution. Some of them were being beaten. They were being publicly mocked. They were threatened. Some of them would die because of the gospel. And Peter says, don't be distracted. Don't be overwhelmed. Instead, set your hope, Christian, fully, fully on the grace of God and respond to these circumstances with holy conduct. That is, live holy lives that honor and glorify God. Verses 13 through 16, a brief summary of those verses. Set your hope fully on the grace of God. Live holy lives. Then in verses 17 through 19, Peter reminds us that if we are Christians, we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This refers to the death of Christ and what God accomplished in and through the death of his son. We were ransomed. A ransom was paid for us. We were all born sinners and we have chosen to sin. Christians once were and non-Christians, that is all those who do not trust in Christ, still are in captivity to sin headed towards eternal destruction and are under the wrath of God. God is love and he is holy and those who do not repent and trust in his son are under his wrath. But as we were reminded on Good Friday from this passage, God paid the ransom price by sending his son to bear God's own wrath against us. As Matt said in his sermon, God wasn't paying Satan off he wasn't paying us off. He was paying the price that we owed him because of our sin. It was a, a price that we could never pay ourselves, but Christ paid it with his precious blood. In order to be freed from the bondage of our sin, rescued from the consequences of our sin, and reconciled to a holy God, the ransom had to be paid. And at the cross, when Jesus gave up his life for us, he became our substitute. And when he did his precious blood, more valuable than all the silver and gold in the world was shed for us. And because he is the perfect lamb of God who unlike all of us is without blemish or spot, his death ransomed us from God's righteous wrath. And because the precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and for me and for all who believe, we who have been freed, who have been ransomed and redeemed, are to live holy lives. Not, not to earn the right to be forgiven by God. We can't earn that. Forgiveness is free. It's solely given to us by God's grace. Justification 
Justification is a gift earned by Christ for us, not earned by us, so that God alone gets all the glory in our being forgiven of our sins and justified before him. No, we are to live holy lives because the infinitely precious blood of Jesus Christ has set us free. We're not to waste the cross by living unholy lives. We're to live in light of the preciousness of Jesus who died for us. And this brings us to our passages, our verses this morning. Verses 20 and 21. These are verses that I believe will serve us well this Easter because they say so much about who Jesus is, what we're celebrating today, and why Jesus' resurrection is our living hope. Just two verses say so much. The scriptures are rich with truth about God, his promises. You find them all over the place, Old Testament, New Testament. And in just these two verses, we will be served well by God this morning. I want to read them to you again. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The he in verse 20 refers to Jesus Christ. And Peter states two important things about Jesus in this verse. First, that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, before the creation existed this foreknowing refers to God's plan to redeem sinners. And it means that God didn't look ahead in time. He, he didn't look forward to, to after he created the world, searching for someone who would be born on earth to be our ransom, to shed their blood, to make atonement for our sins, and then to, to raise from the dead so that we would have a living hope. He didn't do any of that. And if he would have done that, if, if he would have searched forward in time to, to find someone who could do that, he wouldn't have found anyone who could do that because he, he, he wouldn't find anyone who is without sin. He wouldn't have found anyone without spot or blemish who would have only found people like me and like you that is, people who have broken his law, rejected his rule, gone their own way, have lied, have stolen, have worshipped created things instead of him, the creator. People who have hated other people, who have rebelled against him, who have not worshipped him rightly and faithfully. And to be sure, some of us have more spots and blemishes than others. Some of us have sinned more times or sinned in more ways than others. But all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God and, and therefore none of us could atone for our sins, much less the sins of others. And so instead of looking forward in time to find someone to save us, and there would have been no one who could have done that, God foreknew Jesus Christ, that he would be our ransom. And he foreknew this before the foundation of the world. He knew that he would send Jesus to redeem us. He knew this before he created the world, before he made humans, before Adam and Eve sinned, before disease and destruction and viruses and death entered into this world, before you and I were ever born. God foreknew Jesus would ransom us from sin and rescue us from his just and holy wrath. 
that his righteous eternal son who has existed for all time as God, the second person of the Trinity, would pay the ransom and rescue us. God didn't look forward into time to find him. He already knew him. For he is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ. Peter speaks of this same glorious foreordained plan of God in his sermon at Pentecost. Acts 2, through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter also says in 1 Peter 1.20 that Jesus was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. That Jesus was made manifest speaks to the time when he came into the world to die for us and to be raised for us, which was at the same time in world history when these believers lived, which are the last times. The last times is a phrase used in the Bible to describe not just the time, uh, not just that time, but, but these times. We're living in the last times or days. God's plan to send his son to ransom sinners who repent and trust in him has, has reached a turning point in history. The Christ has come. Jesus was made manifest. He was born. And we celebrate this every Christmas. And the Christ lived a righteous, perfect, holy life. And then he died on the cross to atone for our sins according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised Jesus Christ up from the dead. Why? I love Peter's answer in Acts 2.24. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for death to hold him. It was impossible for death to win because God's plan was for death to be defeated by Christ. And so when Jesus Christ was made manifest, he carried out God's sovereign sinner-saving plan, which was foreordained, planned out by God before the foundations of the world. And as Peter goes on to state in the first part of verse 21, it is through him, that is, through Jesus Christ, that we are believers in God. This speaks to the greatness and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we believe in God. Without Jesus, the foreknowledge of, of Without Jesus, the foreknown one who was made manifest for us in these last days, would not, we would not believe in God without him. Jesus is both the object of our faith, the object of our faith, that is, our trust as Christians is in who he is. And having come in human flesh, Jesus is also the one who we trust in God through this is mediator language. By trusting in Christ, we trust in God. Jesus, who is 
God, brings us to God. This is what makes Jesus and his resurrection so important. He is the one who is foreknown before the foundation of the world, who is made manifest in these last days for our sake. I'm gonna pause because my big ears are making this microphone fall off from my ear. Hopefully that helps. I see our sound guys trying to fix a couple issues and I'll try to be helpful here. Hopefully that helps. Well, we move on into the next part of verse 21. Peter states what God, referring here to God the Father, did to, to and for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. He raised him from the dead and gave Jesus glory. This is, of course, what we are celebrating today on Easter, that God raised Jesus from the dead. It's important to be clear here that, that this was not merely a spiritual or a figurative or a metaphorical raising from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he raised him from the dead physically, literally, and bodily. For on the cross to atone for our sins, Jesus physically, literally died. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped taking in air. He stopped breathing. He bore the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. That is death. In Mark 15, 37, we're told that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And when he took this last breath, he physically, that is literally died. He gave up his spirit. He laid down his life for you and for me and all who he came to rescue and redeem. Mark then tells us in Mark 15, 43 through 46, that a godly man named Joseph asked for and then was given permission by Pilate to put Jesus's now verified dead body into a tomb. And that after Joseph wrapped Jesus's body in a linen shroud, he did just that. He laid Jesus' corpse, his dead body, in a tomb that had been cut out from a rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Jesus literally, physically died on Good Friday, and then on Sunday, God literally, physically raised Jesus from the dead. It was a true miracle, a work of God. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked on earth with his resurrected body. He used his resurrected body to, to talk with and to teach his disciples. The glorified risen from the dead Jesus even ate with his disciples using his glorified body. It was a real resurrection from the dead. Now, people will sometimes say when, when someone dies that, that that person is living on in, in others, their family, their loved ones, those who, who believe what they said. But Jesus wasn't raised and that his teachings lived on in his followers after his death. Jesus' body was raised. He has a glorified body right now in heaven. As I said earlier, without Jesus' resurrection, and I meant physical, literal, bodily resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no gospel. There is no good news for sinners. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we Christians would not have a living hope. Our hope would be dead. And yet God did raise Jesus from the dead. 
And in raising him from the dead, God gave Jesus glory. Now to glorify someone is to magnify them, to display their worth to others, their beauty. When God the Father raised his son from the dead by the power of God, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, God didn't give Jesus some glory that he didn't already have. He gave him glory in that he revealed Jesus' glory to us. He magnified to us the glory of Jesus. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, as he's preparing to die and then be raised again, which he knows is coming, he speaks about his glory, saying in John 17 this, praying this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is not getting additional glory. He's already had the same glory. You can't add to the glory of Jesus, but you can reveal the glory of Jesus to those who do not yet see his glory. And so in raising Jesus from the dead, the Father put a glory spotlight on Jesus, showing off the glory of his Son to the world. I like to brag about my sons in a good way. I like to highlight the blessings, the skills, the, the goodness that God has bestowed upon them for his glory. And not just with their athletic prowess and, and their growing. They're going to be way better than me at sports, all of them. Uh, but, but with the things that they say and do, as they learn things, as, as they understand the numbers and, and they learn the alphabet, as they're working through problems and, and, and understanding science and history, as they're learning scripture, my heart is glad and, and I want people to see what I see, the blessing of my boys. I, I want to put a spotlight on them. And even more, the father wants to do that with his son, and he does that with his son. And in the resurrection, that's what he does. Look at my son. Look at my great and awesome son. The father raised up, and he held up his son through the resurrection for all the world to see his son and, in, and to delight in his son. He displayed to all of us the infinite worth, the surpassing greatness, the sovereign power, and the unmatched beauty of Jesus, his son. Jesus' raised body is a glorified body, one that will never get old, break down, or die again. When God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus was vindicated. His resurrection proved that he was who he said he was and that he did what he said he would come to do. For he foretold many times that he would die and then be raised on the third day from the dead. One place where we find this is in Luke 9.22 where Jesus, referring to himself as the Son of Man, said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so if Jesus wasn't raised by the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't receive glory. He'd be, he'd be seen as a liar. And yet he was raised. And so he was glorified by the Father, vindicated. 
God literally, physically, bodily raised his son, Jesus, from the dead. And when he did, Jesus defeated death. He conquered the grave. He was victorious, again, displaying his glory to all who have eyes to see. God the Father glorified his son. And now we come to the, the last phrase in verse 21. It is this, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so let me put all these things together again. The divine, eternal Son, Jesus Christ, who was foreknown by God before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in the last times. That is, God the Son was revealed and came into the world as a man for the sake of you who through him, that is, through Jesus Christ, are believers in God. And God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. Why? So that your faith and hope would be in God. And so this brings us back to where we started this morning, to hope, to Peter's description of the Christian's hope in 1 Peter 1.3, a living hope you have, Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, your faith and hope are not in God. They're in something or someone else. It might be science. Maybe you deny God's existence. It could be in money. You think you have enough stuff to make you happy, to satisfy your greatest needs. It might be in some other false god, whatever his name or her name might be. Allah, Buddha, whoever that is. It might be in yourself. You believe in yourself. You believe the lie of the positive thinking message. Just try hard enough, do good enough, and you'll be fine. The world loves to tell you to trust in and hope in anyone and anything besides Jesus. The world loves that. Your sinful nature loves that message. But it's a lie. When it comes to being holy, when it comes to being righteous, when it comes to being reconciled to God, when it comes to defeating death and being raised from the dead, don't trust in or put your hope in, in any of those things. Don't put it in science, in money, some other God, or in yourself, because none can save you from God's righteous wrath. You have sinned. You will die, and you will face God's judgment. Science cannot save you. Money cannot save you. No other God can save you. You cannot save yourself. There is only one who can save sinners. He is the one who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. His name is Jesus Christ. Look to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in him. Repent. He must be your hope. He's alive. He is our living hope. Is he your living hope today? That's what we Christians are celebrating this Easter morning. We have a living hope. Do you have a living hope? Christian, your faith and hope are in God because Jesus not only died for your sins, but because God raised Jesus from the dead. Without Jesus' resurrection, your faith and your hope would not be in God. But today, Christian, because you have been, by God's sovereign grace, born again, 
because the Holy Spirit has granted you repentance and faith and you have turned from your sin and you are trusting in Christ. No matter what's happening around you, whether you live for one more day after today or for 50 more years, because God raised Jesus from the dead, because Easter happened, your faith and your hope are in God. That's where your faith and hope are in. That's who your faith and your hope are in today, Christian, in God. Because Jesus is alive, your hope is alive. You have, you have a living hope because God raised him from the dead. You and me and every Christian will one day rise. For all who die in Christ will be raised in Christ, just like Christ. This is why we have hope today, church and why we will always have hope, why our hope cannot be taken away by persecution or pandemic. We have hope today and always because Jesus is alive. God raised him from the dead. Praise our great and gracious God. Rejoice in your hope today, Christian. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. God, I am thankful that you can overcome mic issues. I trust that whatever people were able to hear this morning was enough for them to hear the gospel. That you and you alone save sinners through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that on this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday, you, by your grace and for your glory, would rescue more and more sinners who are dead in their sin. Oh Lord, I pray that we, your people, who have a living hope, would rejoice and live in light today and always of our living hope, which is in Jesus Christ. Bless your people today because of the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray it. Amen.